Welcome, and thank you for joining the Successful While Parenting podcast. Till we figure out cloning, we'll be investigating the tips, tricks, and routines that help other parents still achieve their personal goals. Friendly reminder, this show is intended for people with kids, not for kids. This was made in a facility that allows cussing, so there may be traces of it. What's up, Runner Units? Tis I. Um, so in this episode, typically I have my uh, child safety warning on the front or parental advisory. Um, but this one, we talk about um, sensitive topics. Uh, and, and I'm trying to... I, we talk about polyamory and different types of open relationships. And so if you are not comfortable with that. Be aware you you've been informed, um, but I think it's very good. I love the conversation with Kevin. I've been looking forward to having this for a while, and it's very informational. The thing I love of learning from Kevin and talking with him is being informed of just the intersections, like. Polyamory is only one part of who he is and what he talks about. He also talks a lot about the intersection of being a black man and race and the classism and all these other things that play a part. And so it's not just polyamory and relationships, but so much more. So um, I just know that it is often a sensitive topic for most. So if that's something that is a sensitive topic for you, be aware Make note, if you don't want to listen with kids around, do that. But episode super dope. I love the conversation uh, and hope you do as well. All right. So today I have the honor and privilege of working with Kevin Patterson of Poly Role Models. And I, I, I can't even say enough of how like excited I am to have you on and being able to have this discussion. Uh, so thank you. Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the time and the effort. Yeah, not a problem. And I know we were supposed to talk, what, June, July, August or something? Yeah. And then I... <laughs> forgot, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, life got a little crazy. We went and took a sabbatical and I was like, yeah, I'll come back and like life would be easy. And I mean, life was not easy. <laughs> we're in the middle of the apocalypse right now. Life's still crazy. <laughs> yeah. So as we are recording, this is the, the I don't even know if it's the peak, but hopefully it is. Yeah. But we are at the, the moment where the coronavirus, COVID-19, is definitely... In the news and this current event, we're all adapting and rolling with. So, yeah, it is currently kicking our asses. So, <laughs> but that aside, we are here. We've made it happen. Uh, we're keeping our social distance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we dive in and start talking about anything, I wanted to ask I was reading your book, Love is Not Colorblind, and one thing that stuck out is your video game tattoos and specifically the Mass Effect tattoo. What what did you get tattooed? Okay, so I mean I'm gonna give you a little bit a little bit of context first. So I I love Mass Effect. And Mass Effect is basically like my holy grail of gaming. Like I own an Xbox 360 right now only to play the trilogy. So I've gone through all three uh, the original trilogy dozens of times each. Now, wow! Every time, whenever the new game would come out, I'd play all the way through, making only the, the positive choices. Then I'd go through again, playing only like the negative choices, and then I'd go through a third time and just sort of play my heart. Yeah. And what I would learn is that whenever I would play, like to like whatever made sense to me in every situation, I'd make about sixty to eighty percent positive choices. So <laughs> when I got the tattoo, I got the N7 tattoo, which is like the logo of the franchise, the logo of Commander Shepard. And, yeah. and I got a wing, which is 
the logo for the positive choices in the game where it's like a blue wing for the good ah. choices and then like a, a red star for the for the renegade choices so i got i got the the wings sitting over the n7 nice yeah thank you yeah yeah and i so my brother has told me i need to play mass effect and it's on my list i have an xbox one there was a couple of years i just wasn't playing games like odd enough as i say it like it just sounds really odd yeah but i was in college and i didn't have my own console so i ended up not playing even though like there were video games all around me like i just was doing it other things but my brother has made sure i know like bro you got to get in on mass effect well what what i'll tell you is that the first game hasn't aged fantastically I mean, like, it was cutting edge when it came out. It hasn't aged. I mean, it's still playable. It's still good, but it hasn't aged as well as, like, the second game. The second game is still perfect. Wow. And the third game, I love it. There are people who feel like the ending, there's a lot of people who feel like the ending wasn't wasn't good. My take on it is that it wraps up a lot of the storylines. So, like, Mm. it's... 12 great endings and then the final ending ending is meh <laughs> and so uh, is that the is the last one andromeda yeah yeah and andromeda okay. takes place uh different universe it's a uh, like different galaxy kind of at the same time but kind of not it's uh but it it, it doesn't continue the story mm, okay all right I have to check it out. It's it's been on my list, and I, I, I'm pretty sure, probably as you know, we got we have the money now yeah. <laughs> to afford video games. Yeah, not Do just we have that, but like with our <laughs> with our COVID nineteen social isolation, we got the time now. Boom! <laughs> like I just started playing uh, Shadow of the Colossus, and because I should have played it on PS two, and I just sort of missed it. Now I'm playing it on PS four because I got time today. <laughs> making it work i love it and also another thing that i've been interested in kind of diving into how do you like manage so much your for hire magazine like one how did that come to be about and two how do you like get the time to make building up a, a comic that you're inspired by all right well uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the real quick co- correction that I, it the for hire books like it's based on the idea that there is a magazine called for hire that documents what superheroes are out there doing, but the books themselves are actually prose. So we we have to correct it all the time because everyone thinks they're comic books until they <laughs> find a bunch of words. Yeah, so maybe we need to work on branding that better. Okay. I, I mean, everything, uh, when I was researching it, I was seeing all, and it looked like a comic. It was all, it was there, were there panels? We did, we um, we actually had someone draw up a comic strip to advertise the second book, Tick for Wolf from the Kimchi Cuddles cartoons. But um, the books themselves are are, are, are all prose. Like the comic, uh, the covers look very comic book-like. So we understand ah. the confusion, but you know, but we also got to make the correction. Understood. Wow. Okay. Well, now with the correction in place, how did you even, one, how'd you get inspired to start the book? And then two, how do you get, how do you get the time to do like a second project like this? Oh boy, it is. (laughs) Well, like to to start with inspiration, it's, um, it's been, so I was writing Love's Not Colorblind. Mm-hmm. And Love's Not Colorblind was like, I mean, from a book standpoint, it was easy to write because it was just me talking. And uh-huh. every day I would, every day I would leave work, I'd pick a topic in my head, and as I walked the ten minutes to my car to the parking lot, I'd record myself talking about othering or fetishization or you know just one of the topics that the book would cover, and then I'd get home and write it. You know, I'd write what I talked about. I'd find the academic research to to secure all the things I was saying. I'd, you know, but there were so many stories in there mm-hmm. that were my own and uh, and other folks that I'm yeah. wading well into like racism and shit while I'm writing Love's Not Colorblind. Wow. So 
I needed a break from that. And so at some point I just sat down and started writing about, like, I just, I got inspired by, um, the, the black mirror episode, the one that won a bunch of awards, um, San Junipero. Oh, is that the one with the virtual reality? Yeah. 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 So yeah I okay. Was, I was inspired by that. And I started writing, I started writing about a couple of young women who meet by way of technology or like they get, they, they bond by way of technology. And next thing you know, I've written a book that ended up being longer than Love's Not Colorblind over the space of about a month and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, it it wasn't something I was expecting, you know, just out of nowhere. Like, all of a sudden, like, Love's Not Colorblind is, I think, just under 50,000 words. I wrote just over 50,000 words for the first draft of For Hire. Wow. Yeah, and it, it took no time at all. And then I showed it to my friend Alana Phelan, and she's a, a librarian by trade. She she works under the name the Polyamorous Librarian. She was reading like two hundred to three hundred books a year for uh, this library organization thing she was doing. She can explain it far better than I can. So I was like, "Hey, I got that I wrote. Do you want to take a look at it?" And she looked at it and she was like, "This isn't finished." I'm not like I'm not reading this basically and like when she's reading 200 300 books a year she has a very limited patience for anything that's not good right away wow yeah so so all all of a sudden it's like all right well I guess she's not reading this and I just had to kind of keep it moving and then Love's Not Colorblind comes out I'm touring the book and I'm like you know what I really feel like I've got something here I like this story I like the idea of self-publishing will you please look at this again? And we started talking about it and coming up with ideas. And the analogy that I've been using is that back in the day, I went to Howard University and like back in the day, my homeboys could rhyme. They could really rhyme. I couldn't rhyme. I could roll. I could write a bit, but these guys, if I was like, hey, baseball, hey, trophy, hey, coronavirus, they could spit for hours off the top of their heads on any topic I could give them. But if I said, hey, I need you to write a song, I need you to write three 16-bar verses and a chorus, they couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So my job was to help them formulate their endless creativity for rhyme and make it into a song. Alana is the same way with us writing, where I've got ideas and stories and characters and universes, and Alana helps me formulate it into a book that people would actually read. Wow. So it's been good. It's been a good ride. Wow. And so how did it, how long has it been from that first like month that you got out all of the things in your mind to actually coming up with that first finished project? How long did that take for you? Boy, that took, hmm. I I think I, I finished, um, yeah, I finished the first draft and like, December of 2016 and I didn't take a serious look at it as like a a something that I could actually put out Mm -hmm. until maybe June, July of 2018. But once, but once we, once we decided like, Hey, let's make this into something. It only took us a few months to like go back into the draft. We cut the first half of the draft completely out of it. But wow. we took that second half and turned it into for higher operator, and it only took us maybe like three, four months. Okay, yeah. No, I, the thing I love, and and because in my mind, like it's the oh, you have to do it now, and you got to finish it, and it's it. But it's just like you know what? There's like time. As, yeah, like, we don't. It's not guaranteed, but if we are here, like we'll have time to do it, and like you can pick back up on that passion project that was you talked about two years ago, and keep that fire going and, and build something that you're proud of. Yeah, and I mean, and I had the right person. I had the right person with me to do that because, like, even now, so like 
like I said, I, I the the inspiration was the idea that like two women bond over tech and then they create their own technological path to superhumanity. Mm-hmm. The first half of that book is where they meet and how they sort of build that path. And then the second half of the book is them as adults and sort of like coming to terms with what they're doing with their powers. That's what Operator ended up being. Mm-hmm. And I'm writing, I'm rewriting the first half of that book right now. Like, that's what I did when I got up this morning. That's what I'll be doing when I get off the line with you here. (laughs) And even just writing it by myself in isolation, I realized, like, this isn't as good as it could be. Like, Alana's Mm going to look at this thing, and she's going to tear it apart, and we're going to retool it together, and it's going to be awesome when we finally release it, hopefully by the summer. But right now, just me by myself, like, I'm not, I'm good at nonfiction. Fiction, though, that's a lot more difficult. So shifting topics a little bit, because you are what I would say a subject matter expert in the world of ethical non-monogamy. And you've created a great platform with poly role models that's not only talking about the ethical non-monogamy landscape, but also including diverse viewpoints and people, different experiences and also correct me if I'm using an incorrect term or, or something. I, I, I know I don't know them all. <laughs> I mean, I know with like with poly role models, it was like I wasn't trying to make it. I mean, like I was trying to make it an inclusive showcase for um, mm-hmm. for for polyamory. But it, I'd be lying if I thought it was going to be the most inclusive. You know, it just became that because the bar was really low as far as inclusivity. Mm. Like I had no, like I had no idea it was going to be as, um, as, as, as important of a project as it ended up being, you know, it was just me with an idea, trying out some new things. And then all of a sudden, boom, like we were, it was, it was going, it was really going. I haven't updated, I haven't updated the blog in about a year. I've, I've moved on to some other projects and had like some, some personal issues that came up, but Mm -hmm. like, even even now, like there have been so many projects that I that, that I look at that feel like derivative of poly role models, and I'm sort of I'm sort of glad that other people are picking up where I left off. Good, yeah. and you know, like it was shocking to me. It was shocking to me that I was at the forefront in the way that I was, especially with like Love's Not Colorblind, where when like I when I started talking about race and polyamory, when I started talking about how they intersect, I was mostly just talking about my own experiences and sort of pointing out how things like oppression and racism, white supremacy, white feminism, how these things aren't limited to, like they, how they still exist inside of polyamory. Yeah. And I'd find myself being one of the few people who were talking about that. And that was shocking to me where the first time that I spoke at a, at a polyamory conference, I was the only person there discussing race, the only person. And then mm-hmm. I ended up at a, a sex ed um, conference a couple months later, and I and like I wasn't the only person talking about race, but I was the only person talking about polyamory. So, mm-hmm. like I expected there to be dozens more people doing exactly what I was doing when I jumped in, and like I filled a spot that I didn't even know was vacant, and that was that was a real shock for me. Wow. And one thing I've recognized as I'm diving in head first is defining ethical non-monogamy. I'll let you as the expert define it. Um, I mean, and there's a few different uh there's a few different definitions going around. My take on it is just um the willingness, the desire, the activity, the practice of entering multiple relationships, uh romantic, loving, sexual, what have you with the consent willingness and knowledge of everyone involved and like i used a lot of i used a lot of phrasing there just to sort of umbrella it as well because mm-hmm. like not every because everybody's going to craft it differently not everybody uh wants to fall in love not everybody can fall in love not everybody wants to have sex not everybody can have sex you know so everybody everybody customizes it in their own way. And that's kind of something that I love about it, that everybody's sort of doing their own thing, their own way. And the common denominator is the knowledge, the willingness, the consent of everyone involved. Yeah. That's one of the things. So 
I'll just be fully transparent of I am not in any form of ethical non-monogamy. I am in pure monogamy, ethical monogamy. And um, the... Uh, thanks. And, and so, like, <laughs> like the main thing is um, what I've learned is uh, because what, what has drawn me to this is recognizing the toxic side of monogamy and the and the toxic side of monogamy being the idea of ownership, the yeah. idea that somebody should be everything for me and it's just like it's not fair to that that person to to hold them up and say that you should be every aspect and so like the the positives of ethical non-monogamy that i've like just been drawn to has been the focus and and uh need for great communication transparency and that whole idea of like and and i think this is the thing that a lot of the the standard monogamous culture misses is being ethical and being full of consent like this that is the root of it all and honestly if you want to be monogamous that's fine but the idea that we need to be transparent communicate and clear with one another yeah and and like the only problem that i've got with like the only problem that i've got with monogamy and like mm-hmm. and and to be and to be clear, like the longer that I've been ethically non-monogamous, like the less it sort of uh, the less monogamy sort of makes sense to me from a personal standpoint. But the mm-hmm. only actual problem that I have with it is that it it feels like it's such a default setting for people, where, yeah. uh, like just like as as an example, like um, I'm I, I I don't know if you know this, but I'm a gamer. Um, <laughs> and a few years ago, I was like talking with one of my gaming buddies, somebody that I played games online with all the time, and he was telling me about like how his marriage was going. His marriage was going very poorly because like his part, his uh, his wife kept cheating on him. And wow, yeah, and like he tried to give it as many, he tried to give give her as many chances as he could, but as he as he kept describing it all to me, I realized like his wife is not monogamous. Like it's yeah. not, it's not just that it's not just the cheating. Like the cheating is, is one thing. She's just not wired to be with us with a singular person, you know, and everything he described to me told me that. And, you know, I don't know her at all. So it's not like I can have a conversation with her about it, but like, yeah, but she felt like it was clear that she was in a monogamous relationship because that's what was expected of her, not because it's something she wanted. And if she knew that there was an option, she probably would. She probably wouldn't have even attempted monogamy. Yeah, you know. And there's like so. There's so much. There's so much that like monogamous uh, relationships can learn. Like you said about about ownership. Like I always see these. Um, I always see these wild memes that are like you know, stay away from my man. I'll cut you. And it's like <laughs> that sounds. That sounds a like abuse and b like insecurity. Like. Are you on are so you, many levels? Like, are, so are many y'all, levels. like, are y'all going to be okay? Like, do I need to call the police? <laughs> it's, it's, and it's, it's definitely like, I've, I've been interested in, and, and this is how I got into understanding and learning about the world of ethical non-monogamy. And I've talked about it with my wife. And again, we like, that's one thing I love about my marriage is like, we are 100% transparent. Yeah. Um, and we, talk through these things and so just walking through it and and being clear and and if i like because i would probably say i would be open to ethical non-monogamy i've not done it so i'd be interested in seeing like what i feel fits for me but my wife is like kind of apprehensive about it but she understands like the larger ideas of like oh this idea of ownership, like that's, it actually is counterproductive. It is bad to think like you're mine and any interest in anyone else is, is that's just not good or healthy behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. And like, just thinking about like, um, 
if I'm if 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 me if me and my partner are walking through the mall and I you know and I happen to glance at somebody or she happens to glance at somebody you know we we find somebody attractive if that makes me feel some sort of way yeah. in in a monogamous relationship I could feel well within my rights to just be like hey don't do that you know yep. and like hey like you've got a behavior that I that that that, that I don't like let me control that behavior. Your autonomy matters less to me than my hurt feelings. Whereas if I'm in a polyamorous relationship, I've got to own that. Like that's sort of like a standard thing where I've got to own, Hey, this is making me feel some sort of way. Why is it making me feel some sort of way? You know, my partner's not doing something specifically to hurt me. She's just doing something that that comes natural to her, something that she wants to do, something that she likes to do, what have you. I'm, I'm not even factored into this equation. Yeah. You know, let me figure out why I feel this way. And let me see if I can ask for a behavior change that doesn't restrict her autonomy, but doesn't make me feel like, you know, like feel this way. Or maybe I should confront my feelings and figure out what's what and, you know, solve, solve that problem on my own. Yeah. And and kind of piling on to what you said, it, it's got me thinking of there's that area to where with the standard monogamous culture that it's okay if I'm with the boys or, or I'm a dude to go look at other women. Now, yeah. It's cool for men to do it. But if our partners who are female were to do it, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, and it, and it's like oh, and the, the it's the double standard of men are cool and they're just doing what they should do, versus yep. if a woman is interested in multiple partners, like she's all types of names. Yeah, and we don't get a we don't get enough uh, we don't get enough opportunities to like confront our insecurities around that kind of stuff. You know, like it becomes easier to like to call women names than it is to say like hey. I'm having an emotional reaction here. I'm having a feeling mm. that's not that's not the stereotypical male reaction of aggression or or, or you know or you know or what have you. Yeah, like, that's wow. I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah, I mean it's a uh, there. Like I feel, and like maybe not everyone feels this way, but I feel like ethical non-monogamy, especially like in 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 polyamory, I feel like there's a responsibility to sort of unlearn a lot of the culture that we get around us where like, mm. I feel like non-monogamy without that is a little irresponsible. That's just my personal take. Every, anybody can feel how, how they feel about that. But like, we're, we're already leaving the path as far as uh relationship structures, societal modeling. We're already leaving that behind. I feel like there's a lot of stuff we should be leaving behind at the same time. Yeah, definitely makes perfect sense. Um, like I and like getting back to the toxic monogamous ways, and not to say any one form of relationship is bad. This is not the uh, <laughs> we are not trying to bash monogamy or say anything. Yeah, bad, of but course. To talk about the of any form or fashion of relationship that you are in, removing the toxic behaviors, removing the acting out of aggression because we're not addressing our emotions like things like that so so yeah i, yeah. I guess i wanted to to shift gears a little bit all right <laughs> Since, uh, and talk about it from a parenting perspective so this is one thing as i said of i was like oh, i'm kind of interested in exploring ethical non-monogamy and seeing what it's like but if someone and I, I always like draw this analogy or comparison of like, if I was single or if it was just my wife and I, we didn't have kids, it'd be easier for us to figure these things out on our own. But since we have kids, it's like, how do you like step into that world? How do you manage it? And 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 I guess this is kind of like a different question did when did you did you have your kids before or after entering ethical non-monogamy we had our kids after we met and less than six months into that relationship we opened it up 
and mm-hmm. and then several years later, like uh, a few years later, we got married. A few years later, we had kids. So like we were well into it, and like because we didn't know what we were doing, like we didn't have a roadmap laid out for us. We just yeah. thought at first that we were just messing around, you know. So we we figured, all right, well, once we move in together, we're gonna stop this 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 uh, this fooling around. <laughs> you know, once we graduate from college and move in together, we're gonna stop this. Once we get married, we're gonna stop this. Once we have kids, we're gonna stop this. And as we got to each of those off ramps, it made less and less sense to get off that highway. Yeah. By the time we had kids. It, like uh, that was sort of the last one. That was like the last barrier. We were like, all right, once we have kids, we're gonna knock it off, and it just didn't make sense at all at that point. So we basically realized like what we're doing isn't shameful. What we're doing mm-hmm. is something that needs to be hidden, you know. So we had kids, and I'm from a West Indian culture that's that's really about having like other adults in the home. And a lot of that is mm. people coming from other countries where, you know, I grew up with my mom and my dad and my, my, my dad's sister lived with us for several years where she came from Guyana and she lived with mm-hmm. us for a number of years. Or, you know, there's always somebody coming from Trinidad, somebody coming from the Bahamas, somebody coming <laughs> from Jamaica, somebody living with you for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years. So having more adults in a, in a home, more than two adults in a home, isn't a strange thing for me. Mm. And so when when our kids became old enough to realize like, hey, there are more than two adults isn't a, a common thing. We we just made sure like we keep we keep it very age appropriate for our kids. Our our our, our kids know that we have other friends, other partners, and that's really all they need to know. So, mm-hmm. like, we're not, like, spelling it all out for them, but we're not hiding anything either. Like, kids are really smart. They pick up oh. on the familiarity between romantic partners. So, like, if if I've got a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a joyfriend, whatever it is, you know, they pick up on that immediately. Wow. So, although we keep our conduct age appropriate, they know who these people are in our life. And what matters to them isn't, you know, whether or not mommy or daddy has uh, another romantic partner. What matters to them is here are more responsible adults that care about us. You know, Um, I've, I've got a partner where they, they, they crash with me uh, like once a week and, there was a there was a morning where my kids got up late. They weren't re- they weren't ready for school. So my part they were they knew my partner was down in the basement. They're like, "Hey, can you bring us to school?" I mean, they probably could have walked. They probably should have walked. You know, they missed the bus. <laughs> you know, they kids kids got to learn consequences from time to time. <laughs> but like, just having another responsible adult in the home who was willing to like look out for them that matters. Yeah. To them. You know, having somebody who they can invite to a tea party, someone, you know, someone who's going to sneak them goldfish crackers behind behind my uh, back. You know, that's all uh, stuff that's really important <laughs> to them. Yeah. And what is the, the like biggest pushback you hear from parents? Because I know one of the common like, oh, ethical non-monogamy is not healthy for kids because blank. What is what is that? I mean, the, the the common pushback is basically the common pushback that you get from anything, and that's your kids won't understand. And the fact of the matter is, it's not kids that don't understand. It's adults that don't understand. Because yep. cause we, we get old and we get set in our ways and we have all of our old politics and our old agendas and, and old, you know, stances where, like, my mom, my, my mom doesn't understand. I'm like, hey, mm. you know, I love my wife. Hey, I love my girlfriend. She doesn't get that. You know, mm. my mom's been married for 45 years to my dad. She doesn't understand the idea of ethical non-monogamy. Meanwhile, my kid, my kid got it before I even explained it to her. My my older daughter, she was in preschool. And one of her classmates, a little, uh, a, a little, a little white boy had two moms. And another one of her classmates, a little black girl, had two white dads. And she was like, Dad, this kid has two moms, and that kid has two dads. 
I want two moms and two dads. You know? <laughs> so like now, my I, I mean, she's she's about to turn ten now, but at this point she was three or four. She wow. understands same sex relationships better than my parents do. Yeah. You know, she understands ethical non-monogamy better than my parents do. For her, it's not a strange thing. Like when I was her age, me being a black kid and me being a black kid in a in a in a, in a mostly white suburb made me one of the odd men out. You know. Yep. That was like I was the diversity. Meanwhile, th- this kid, when she was three, four years old, she's got like adopted kids, mixed race kids, kids with same sex parents. Her being a black kid with black parents, she wasn't even on the diversity scale anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's as it is definitely true with the the kids don't understand. Like I have my brother in law and his boyfriend well, his boyfriend is does I'm trying to make sure I say the per- appropriate term. Drag racing? Drag, not drag racing. I saw that somewhere. Um, drag shows? Yeah, drag. I understand. Okay. And so they were over at our house and they were getting ready for a show. And he was like, oh, no, I'm not going to get dressed in here. I don't want to scare Desi. And I was like, she's not going to care. She's not going to be like horrified. It's going to be the yeah. adults that would be like, oh, my gosh. Desi's going to be like, oh, you got dressed up. Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, like, I was an adult when Ellen came out the closet on television, you know? Meanwhile, mm-hmm. if my kids wanted to watch, um, my kids wanted to watch RuPaul's Drag Race, they could do that today. And they're, and they're, they're still in single digits. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not, it's nothing. Like, no, it, yeah. And it, yeah. There was, oh. um, there was a point where, and my older daughter's maybe like three or four at the time. I'm watching TV. I've got a two TV set up in my basement and I want, like I'm playing video games on one TV and I'm like, all right, well I want to put something on the other TV. That's not violent because you know, my, my kid is watching. Yeah. And it ends up, I end up finding that, uh, that Will Ferrell movie, Talladega nights. <laughs> and I'm like, this is yeah. goofy. My kid is playing with her toys. It's just, she's not going to see any gunfights or violence or blood or anything. But we get to the end of the movie uh, after the big climactic race, and it's um, Sasha Baron Cohen and Will Ferrell and their characters kiss. Yeah. My, my kid's like, Daddy, why is that boy kissing that other boy? And, like, in my head, I'm going through, like, all of human sexuality and trying to find, like, this age-appropriate way to tell her about gay people. And all I could come up with, all I could blurt out was, they must really like each other. And she's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then she goes yep. back with her toys. And that's it. That's all she needed. Nice. You know, like I see people like complain, like, how am I going to complain? How am I going to explain homosexuality to my kid? You look at your wife and you say, hey, some people like, you know, like the same way I like your mom. Some people like boys. That's it. That's the whole, that's the whole, that's the whole thing. <laughs> the whole long seminar about how to explain it to your child. That's what some people like. Yeah. There's um like I, I love Steven Universe. I love that show, Steven Universe. And my kids love it. And like the first episode that I ever saw, and sorry, spoilers for this show that you should have already watched. Um <laughs> like you find out that the main the, the one of the main characters is actually two characters, two female bodied space gems who were uh who fused together because they love each other. And like, you, if you watch the show, you've known these characters for quite some time, but you didn't realize that that was what their nature was. But I'm watching this this episode; it's the first one ever, and all of a sudden, these two these two characters who look like women, they fuse together, form one character, and sing a song about being made of love. And I'm like, I don't need an explanation for this. This explained itself. My kids learn yeah. same sex relationships by watching a couple of anthropomorphic space rocks. <laughs> Speaking of song, <laughs> New Age Sesame Street, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that, and I'm one of the few people that like I've seen a Steven Universe episode, but I, I got Mass Effect and Steven Universe on my list. I'm, I'm gonna catch up. You got I the promise. time, bro. You got the time. 
<laughs> social social distancing would allow me the time. I get yep. it. And so one thing you touched on a little bit, and I, I, I want to dig in there, is you were saying how your mom doesn't understand it. And I want to talk about that intersection of blackness and like how how you combat the, oh, that's white people shit. Oh, boy, I've got a couple of things I can say about that. <laughs> so, like, first and foremost, it's a representational thing. There's a representational mm-hmm. thing in that, like, if you don't see yourself represented in a thing, it's really to just discount yourself from that thing. Just decide, you know what, this thing isn't for me, even if it could be, even if it should be. And, like, and you see that not just with, like, ethical non-monogamy, you see that with, like, surfing and snowboarding and yep. you know like this it's really easy to just see like not see yourself represented and say you know what that's not for me that's not that's not a thing black people do also yep. like we are we like america forces black folks into like a permanent second class citizenry and one of the after effects of that is that we're always fighting for survival where mm-hmm. there is no shortage of comedians who make the joke I'm not, you're not going to catch me jumping out of plane because like, if I want, if I want a, a death defying thrill, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be dodging the police, you know? Yeah. Where like, I'm scared enough when I see, when I see the, uh, when I see the red and blue lights in my rear view mirror, I don't need that thrill. Like yep. by, you know, by trying to climb a mountain. Yep. You know? So like, I, I understand, I understand that that's a representational thing. It's also like, there's also, um, barriers by way of class where polyamory polyamory costs money like Mm -hmm. people try to play one way or the other but in a capitalist society if you're not making money you're you're losing money yeah and and like even just like events like people will host like a happy hour well where is that happy hour being hosted is it being hosted somewhere where black people be at is it is it hosted somewhere that's going to cost a lot of money is it being hosted on a day at a time where i'm going to need babysitting if i'm if i'm of an identity that is traditionally disadvantaged by way of class all of those are barriers for entry for me yeah and like a lot of people don't pay pay enough attention to that sort of thing they just want to host an event and hope that people show up and that's not really that's not really enough if you're looking to have an inclusive crowd and then like some of it's cultural as well where like i'm not a a very religious person but Mm -hmm. like a lot of us are a lot of us are a lot of us took that that bible that we got from our slave masters and we and we held on to it real tight. So Yeah. You know. <laughs> and like, and I'm not trying I'm not trying to trash anybody's religion or anybody's way of life or anything, but like there are people who who really hold tight to their religion to the point where they see a thing, a thing like ethical non-monogamy and decide, you know, that's not for me because that's not in the Bible, except that it actually is in the Bible. And we mm. all we all just sort of pick and choose what we get out of that book anyway. Yep. I <laughs> I have opinions. I'm very much like you of like I definitely respect religion. I I recognize the value it brings, but there are definitely different things, especially of how people twist it and use it for their own personal gain rather than using the core principle which is loving everyone. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I we I'm sure we could go down a rabbit hole on that one. I'm I'm just going to leave it with this. I saw a guy who had a tattoo on his forearm, I think, of that (laughs) Leviticus verse that, that, you know, man shall not lay with another man or whatever it was. But there's like a, this very specifically anti-gay Leviticus verse. And this guy had it tattooed to his forearm. But like the very next verse in Leviticus is (laughs) anti-tattoo. Uh, yeah, humans. So, yeah, we're funny. We are hilarious. <laughs> and so, I definitely want to respect your time and let you get back to all the things you got to do. One thing I wanted to call out is your your book, 
Love's Not Colorblind is amazing. Like I've been reading through it and it's not focused purely around ethical non-monogamy, like no. the 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 points that you hit around classism, racism, sexism, and being aware and empathetic of people in their other situations. Like the analogies in it just like I and I, I consider myself like open and trying to be understanding of everything, but like even the the analogies that you give and the descriptions and how you walk through all of the problems, I'm just like, man, how how did he put it together like this? Like this is amazing. There was a point there was a point recently where I'm like, I'm getting dressed and I'm talking to my wife and I'm like, yo, you know why my book's good? And it was just out of nowhere. <laughs> like, yo, you know why that book's good? Cause I say the same thing four different times in every chapter where it's like, here's a story about, you know, about a topic. Here's me explaining what that topic's about. Here's some academic research about this topic. Here's another story about this topic, or here's an analogy about this topic. It's me just drilling it down in a really concise way. And none of it's hard, like none of it's hard to understand where, I mean, not just like, as far as the book goes, just like none of these topics are hard to understand where whenever you see somebody who's like, well, I don't get white privilege. That's garbage. I don't believe that. It's willful ignorance because the mm-hmm. top because the topic isn't hard to understand. It's not like it's some it's not it's not rocket surgery. It's it's basic social science. <laughs> yeah, no, is um for anyone that's listening, if they wanted to find out more about you, where is the best way? What is the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? Well, I'm I'm Poly Role Models on just about everything. I'm Poly Role Models on Instagram, Poly Role Models on Twitter and Tumblr and Facebook. I post most of my content on Facebook and like um, any events that I'm going to be at, anything I'm going to be teaching. I mean, I have no idea when that's going to be. I was supposed to be in Tucson in a couple of weeks, but they banned gatherings yeah. of 50 or more people in Tucson. I'm supposed to be in D.C. in July or in June in Dallas in July. I have no idea if those things are actually going to happen. Wow. Yeah. New world order, right? But <laughs> but I will be I will be online. Um Dr. Liz Powell and I are gonna be teaching classes called uh Unfuck Your Polyamory. We're still working on some things. Ooh. We were supposed to be live in, in April, but we're gonna push it back. We're gonna see what a couple of things look like before we proceed. My my books for the for hire books, you can find them on at Facebook.com slash for hire mag. Right now, we've got Operator out. Audition came out back in back in November, and we're currently working on Supercell, which is kind of a prequel to Operator. Nice. Yeah. So for all of your queer polyamorous superhero needs. <laughs> nice. And for the Love's Not Colorblind book, where where is the best place for people to check that one out? Love, uh, Love's Not Colorblind is available basically anywhere books are sold. You can get you can get the ebook the uh, the ebook um, at any online retailer. Um, a lot of like if you've got an adult store, I mean like Love's Not Colorblind is definitely in bookstores. If you've got like adult shops that have like an educational component, you can often find them there as well. Ooh. Amazon, any like online book retailer, and the audiobook is on audible.com. Nice. The for hire books, like purchase wise, you can get the ebooks anywhere. Any online retailer that sells ebooks will have the for hire books. Their paperbacks are only on Amazon because that's who we're publishing through. Mm. And but you can find all of our news on Facebook. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, uh, that's uh, it from my end. Anything else you want to share before we uh, wrap up? Hey, I really appreciate you having me on. Like, I I know like we're we are in some trying times right now, so I'm glad I'm glad people are still being able to get resources, you know, resources and information for you know the way they want to live their lives. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm, I'm, this is it's always a pleasure to get on here and 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 talk with different parents and hear how they're thriving and living out in different ways, you know, because the and like the whole impetus of why I started the show is you become a parent and you like no longer exist. And so how do you still pull that, get, get stuff for yourself to, to live and thrive? I mean, in real talk, like being, being married is a privilege in these relationships. 
like being married and having a home where there's so often my wife will go out and uh, have a good time while I'm home with the kids or I'll, uh, she'll be home with the kids and I'll, I'll be, you know, out, you know, doing my thing. There are people who can't do that just because they don't have yeah. the uh, childcare and, you know, it, we, we make a really good team and, and that's, a, that's sort of necessary right now. Yeah. I hear that 100%. Well, thank you, Kevin. This has been an honor and a pleasure. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed this episode of Successful While Parenting. Till we figure out cloning, we'll be investigating the tips, tricks, and routines that help other parents still achieve their personal goals. This podcast is available in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Music. Uh, It's also available on SoundCloud if you'd like. If you could, pretty, pretty please, with sugar on top, please leave a review. Uh, I definitely hope that this podcast is worthy of five stars, but if not, then let me know what I can do to take it to the next level. Your constructive feedback is requested and definitely highly valued. I want to be able to provide a good source of value for you. I promise. So please um, leave us a review and check us out on our Facebook page. Um, you can easily search for us, uh, Successful While Parenting, or you can go directly to our URL, which is facebook.com slash pod. Once on the Facebook page, drop me a line. I love having conversations with listeners and being able to know what's working well, what's not. So thanks. See you soon. This track is called At Least Looks Green by Swirl. You can find it on his SoundCloud, which is linked on the Facebook page.